Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk Advisory Board Chair L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on all things startups. The Platform Podcast features conversations with founders, operators, and experts tackling a myriad of topics facing the marketplace and sharing economy startup ecosystem. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not professional advice. For specific issues, please seek an appropriate professional or contact us at info at marketplacerisk.com for more information. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle. Hello, and welcome back to the Platform Podcast. Today, I'm joined by David Sullivan, who is Executive Director at the Digital Trust and Safety Partnership. David, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, David, you have intrigued me already just through our brief conversations by telling me that you've had a unique career path to arrive at working in digital trust and safety. And obviously, we do want to get on to what the Digital Trust and Safety Partnership is all about. But first of all, I want to hear about this unique career path because I'm always interested in how people you know, got to where they are in digital trust and safety, because I think I've said in many conversations with my guests that it's not one that you sort of chat to to your careers advisor at middle school about, really, is it? No, indeed. Um, and uh, perhaps my career path maybe is less unique than it would be as more people from sort of more parts of the world kind of get involved in trust and safety. Um, but I came into this after a career starting out actually in international humanitarian assistance, um, working in uh, Central and West Africa with uh, on refugee assistance and working in, in conflict zones. Um, I, I moved from that into working on things like human rights advocacy, uh, where I started, uh, you know, ad, uh, advocacy with technology companies on human rights issues. Uh, and then I wound up working together with tech companies and human rights organizations and academics and investors in a, uh, an organization called the Global Network Initiative, uh, which worked on freedom of expression and privacy uh, around the world. And that brought me into this world of trust and safety and led me to become the first uh, executive director at the Digital Trust and Safety Partnership uh, in summer of 2021. So in the background, I mean, when you were working in, in Africa and all this was going on, were you at that point interested or knowledgeable about technology was that something that evolved as as your path uh you know continued well um i should say i've I've always had an interest in technology and and before that career in humanitarian aid i might date myself a little bit here but i I (laughs) did (laughs) spend a year uh right out of uh university um in san francisco uh, working for a startup not so much during the the dot com boom, but during the dot com crash. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I saw a few of these things up front, um, and and so you know issues around the internet and tech was something that was always you know in the back of my head. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, you've had you know a, a, a sort of a view on on that world, obviously for for quite a while, and and that must really help you in your role to be able to sort of have that perspective, I suppose. I do think trying to keep in mind um, the impact uh, of these um, digital products and services, uh, you know, not just 
in you know the United States and Western Europe, but globally, and sort of how these these tools can be used for good, but also can be misused um, in many different contexts all around the world is something that I do try to to, to keep in mind at all times. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to the partnership itself. Um, obviously, it's a you know, it's a great connection for us at Marketplace Risk because, you know, there's lots of synergies there. But what you're doing is, is, is slightly different. And I'd love to hear about the organization and, and really, uh, I suppose it's its origin story, but and, and also what, what you're doing there now. Sure. Yeah. So the Digital Trust and Safety Partnership launched in February of uh, 2021. Um, so we're just over two years uh, old. Uh, I came on board as the first executive director um, in August of that year. So I wasn't there for the foundation. Um, But what I can say is that it brings together, I think, some of the world's leading uh, providers of a really wide range of digital products and services around a shared commitment to developing trust and safety best practices uh, for the industry uh, and uh, backing those best practices up with um, self-assessments, independent assessments, and really sort of demonstrating a new level of transparency and accountability. And uh, I think what makes our partnership distinct from the dozens of initiatives that are out there um, uh, in this space, whether it's um, new regulations from government, proposed legislation, um, uh, initiatives from civil society, or sort of issue-specific initiatives, is that instead of trying to bring together companies to agree, oh, on this specific type of um, content that is, uh, you know, should be allowed or not allowed uh, on a service. Um, our companies are aligning around a common set of practices that can be used to address um, all sorts of, of risks um, uh, on digital uh, services. So these talk to me about these practices and how does that work? Because, I mean, who, um, is it you or how big is your team that actually create the, these, um, I'm, I'm presumably like sort of guidelines or, or not rules, but you know, how does that work? Yeah. So um, we have this uh, best practices framework that really has five overarching commitments. And this is what all of our member companies um, are supporting. And those are commitments around um, product development uh, and making sure that trust and safety is front and center when um, products are being designed and developed and built out and launched. Um, around governance and making sure that you have, um, you know, explainable and understandable rules for what's allowed, what's not allowed, um, enforcing those rules. That's the third sort of pillar, uh, using a combination of people and processes and technology. Uh, the fourth pillar is improvement over time. Uh, and then the fifth is uh, transparency uh, about trust and safety. Um, So those are the sort of five overarching commitments. And underneath that, we've sort of put together um, 35 specific best practices. Um, And companies can use whatever combination of those best practices uh, are going to mitigate the risks on their product or service. So that's going to look different for a search engine, from a social network, from a marketplace. Um, But the idea is that companies can take what they're doing in trust and safety and map that to this overarching framework um, so that industry can come together and really present a common view of what good looks like. 
um, in terms of, of the who and who's, who is working on this and put it together. So I, I do have a small team that I work with, but I think what's more important is that we bring together practitioners um, from our company members, um, whether that's people working in trust and safety operations or content policy or legal, it really depends company to company. Um, but it's those practitioners who are the ones defining what the best practices are here. Uh, and I think that's what makes us um, a unique and important uh, contribution to this growing field of trust mm-hmm. and safety. That's really interesting. So well, I mean, obviously, this makes me sound negative, but presumably sometimes things don't go wrong. How do you sort of enforce, um, you know, what what happens about actually, you know, governance of, of this? Of course. Yes. So, you know, I think here um, what we're setting out is first the best practices, and then we're backing those up with a combination of um, uh, assessment and interrogation and, and evaluation. And so that has started with uh, last year, our our company members um, did self-assessments of their own implementation of these practices. And we published a report about those self-assessments called the SAFE Assessments in July of last year. Uh, And now we're building out a um, independent third-party assessment process. Uh, And our goal is to have kind of a pilot round of independent assessments of those trust and safety practices um, underway uh, in the the coming months and to have a report out about that before too long. Um, So the idea here, and I kind of liken it to um, like a 360 degree performance review when you're in in a job, is you start by sort of with your own self-evaluation of how you're doing, uh, and then you have that sort of reviewed by, by somebody external to you. Um, so when when companies did these assessments and, when, and in the report that we published last year, we showed where companies themselves see where their strengths are, where they're more mature and where they're less mature when it comes to implementing these best practices. You mentioned um, slightly earlier there that the partnership was formed in February 21 and um, you know, these dates, 20 and 21, always sort of set off alarm bells in our heads because we remember <laughs> what was actually going on then. Did the partnership come about particularly because of or in spite of or what was its sort of relationship, I suppose, with the pandemic? Because I know that the way that we interacted online changed so much in that, you know, crucial first year of the pandemic was it affected or prompted by that in any way it wasn't prompted by it because the conversations that led to the formation of the partnership had started um well before that uh but i would say that um the the reality of of one trying to start a new organization um when everybody is is doing everything remotely is of course always a challenge Um, (laughs) but i think it also just reflected um, the need for this kind of broad and um, rigorous but flexible framework where you can um, uh, adapt to whatever the, the new challenge is. Um, so I think that, you know, uh, if you think about, you know, uh, in 2019, for example, there was pretty narrow field of people who were talking and thinking about studying you know, medical misinformation. Um, but that quickly became one of the hottest topics for for trust and safety. Um, so I think that sort of demonstrated why you need to have this approach that can't be narrowly focused on, oh, hate speech over here 
or bullying over here or child protection over there. You need, you need focus on those issues, but you need a broader framework that really can incorporate whatever the, the next thing that we can't even predict is going to be. Mm. And that must be changing all the time. I mean, I mean, presumably, you know, these, that framework has to be very flexible because is it the case that, you know, what, what comes into the, um, definition of, of trust and safety um, and is needs, you know, requires a policy about it. You know, there must be sort of n- new thoughts and ideas around this all the time. I think that's exactly right. Uh, and companies are, are, are constantly and every day, I think, grappling with something new that they maybe haven't seen before. Um, but I think that um, our contribution here is that you can use the same practices um, to address the new the, the new content you know crisis of the day, uh, and that's why we're so focused on on the the actual practices and processes and policies that companies are using. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what some people you know wouldn't necessarily understand initially about your organization is that it's not about individual company policies; it's about how to you know actually assess this uh, overall. Exactly right. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the current climate, because obviously we talked about the, the pandemic there and, um, you know, obviously that that was a, a, a certain, um, you know, climate that was happening there. Now we have, you know, recession and, you know, we also have been seeing a lot of layoffs in tech. Some of these have been um affecting people in in trust and safety roles and i think you're the ideal person to get some perspective around this and you know what companies are doing at the moment i suppose about investing in trust and safety in the current climate or indeed doing the opposite and and laying off so certainly you know the the layoffs have been you know uh, very widely uh, spread across the the tech industry and have affected people working in trust and safety there's no doubt about that um, but i also think at the same time you do uh, see companies recognizing the imperative of continuing to invest in trust and safety uh, whether that is um, because of the the very real crisis that they're confronting every day, but also because uh, of the wave of um, legislative and regulatory requirements that are coming in this space as well. And what I do think that means is that um, a lot of the energy and the resources and efforts that companies are putting into trust and safety um, is also increasingly about regulatory compliance um, and not just the sort of voluntary things that they have been doing um, over the past years. Um, So there is certainly a lot of pressure on these teams. Um, Some of these teams are smaller than they were. uh, And, um, and uh, that is a challenge. uh, I think that, that, you know, you can't ignore. Um, But uh, I also think that there is maybe more focus on this uh, than there ever has been before. uh, And, um, I, I don't think that trust and safety teams have been cut disproportionately um, to the rest of the industry, um, but but any cuts to trust and safety right now, you know, really do uh, pose a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, um, I I can um, I can imagine, and you know, it's it's very tricky at the moment. I think when you know teams are, are, are stretched as well, and it's something we've been you know, hearing about a lot of marketplace risks. So, you know, looking forward to, you know, an improvement um, 
and you know seeing an upward turn I, I suppose um so just to, to talk a bit more about the the partnership I think you know it's interesting how the public um are informed about what you're doing um and you know I know that you have policies that are, are, are published and, and put in front of the public how does that work and and what are the stakeholders in the public space who are out out with this um with out with the actual sort of trust and safety professionals um community so um yeah as an industry initiative our members are companies who you know offer you know uh sort of public facing services that they do trust and safety operations for so we're our membership are those, um, and, and our membership is organizations. That sets us apart, I say, from say the Trust and Safety Professional Association, um, which is really about the individuals working in this space. We are the organizations um, working in this space. Uh, but engaging with stakeholders in the public is is a large part of what we, we do. We wanna sort of gather together the sort of insights um, and from industry as well as the challenges that industry is grappling with, um, and then share those, whether it's with uh, civil society, with policymakers, um, with law enforcement, um, what have you. Um, so that's a, a big part of what we are doing. Um, what we did in publishing the, the report I mentioned earlier about companies' first self-assessments um, of how they're implementing these practices is um, rather than saying, here's how Google is doing and here's how Meta is doing, um, we aggregated uh, those self-assessments um, so that uh, um, we preserve you know, the sort of confidentiality of the process for companies so they can really go in there and, and not treat this as a, a PR exercise, but really look in depth at, okay, where are we doing well and where do we need to improve? Um, but then share that kind of information with the public. Um, so what we found in those reports was kind of where companies see themselves as more mature. Often that was kind of uh, what we referred to as core content moderation practices, the kind of things that trust and safety teams have been doing for a long time and, and can do relatively unilaterally themselves. Like, do you have clear um, community standards? You know, how are you enforcing those community standards? Um, and where we saw companies as being um, less mature or where the companies themselves saw them, you know, recognized that they were less mature and needing to improve um, was often about how they were working with um, external organizations. How are they getting user input into their policies and practices? How are they working with civil society organizations or fact checkers or human rights groups on enforcement? Um, or are you working with academics and researchers to improve transparency um, about your practices? So that those are a few of the, the insights and, and sharing those with the public, with governments and, and NGOs um, is really uh, been a core part of what I've been doing over the last year. That sounds really interesting. You're based in, in the US and, and obviously a lot of the, the companies that are members of the partnership and the companies that you work with are possibly based in the US, but also work globally. Um, how does the partnership work in that way when l legislation and, and regulation of trust and safety varies from, you know, continent to continent and country to country? Uh, you know, is it um, that, you know, you are only able to do so much from where you are? Or how, how does that actually work? 
Yeah, well, so um, we do aspire really to be a, a global uh, partnership and are looking for, um, uh, you know, organizations committed to, to our practices and frameworks to be able to join um, from anywhere around the world. Um, that said, our current membership is definitely focused on, um, on the United States and North America. Uh, but where I think the opportunity here is, is really when it comes to what you just said about um, all of the different regulations that are, are um, moving forward in different places around the world from, you know, Australia and Singapore to the EU and the UK, um, but many other countries as well. And um, here's where I see a real opportunity that if industry is able to um, come together, uh, you know, and articulate, here is how trust and safety works. Here are practices that we've agreed on globally as an industry. Um, then those can be something that regulators um, in different countries around the world can look to. Uh, and it's an opportunity to try to, I think, really build an international standard um, mm -hmm. that will perhaps reduce um, the amount of conflicting requirements that companies are currently dealing with. Um, and I, I think help to, to really um, make all of this a little bit um, both easier for comp companies to implement, um, easier for uh, external folks to understand, uh, and easier for, for governments to make sure that there's the proper oversight of all of this. Yeah. I mean, it strikes me that if there's one thing that where a global standard makes a lot of sense, it's in trust and safety because... You know, it's um, it's not something that people should be sort of competing on particularly. Um, but uh, yeah, I suppose it's very difficult to to actually organize and implement um, the world over, really. Yeah. Now, I did. I have spent time, you know, in the last few months in everywhere from Brussels to Singapore, uh, and um, you know, I do think that there's an opportunity here. Um, but um, it, you know, it's not easy. But um, it. What makes it easier, and I think you're right, is that this is, these aren't issues where um, our members are, are competing with one another. And that's what, how we're able, I think, to develop these practices and get the kind of rich insights that we get from the companies because this is you know, fundamentally a, pr a pretty collaborative exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And that's certainly what we find with the marketplace risk community, that there's a, a real uh, appetite for information and knowledge sharing um all for you know for that greater good which is uh, always refreshing to see talking of the marketplace risk community we are excited that you are coming along to the conference in san francisco in may which is next month and i believe you are coming with some colleagues as well so people who are attending will be able to reach out and connect with you on the app um so and that's your first time isn't it it is i'm very much looking forward to attending and, and really also you know i think with our um our best practices you know we certainly have companies you know in our membership that that are marketplace companies um, but I think there's an opportunity, I think, for more specialized uh, companies and whether that's across, you know, sort of sharing um, or dating, gaming, other marketplace uh, marketplaces to sort of take our best practices and say, OK, what does this look like for our piece of the sector um, and to really sort of help define uh, best practices going forward? So those are the kind of conversations that I hope to, to have at the conference. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm sure you will. And many more 
uh, interesting conversations if the previous years have been anything to go by. So really look forward to welcoming you there, David. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear about the partnership. And just as a final sort of call to action, really, for our listeners, if they wanted to find out more about the partnership, um, maybe you could drop a, a web address in here or um, just a, the best way to get in touch with you. Absolutely. So our website is uh, dtspartnership.org. Um, that's the best place to connect. You can join our, our mailing list. You can also find us on you know the usual uh, places on social media. Um, we are you know regularly looking for input from uh, your community on all sorts of things. Um, one quick example of that, uh, we recently um, put out for public consultation a, um, a glossary of trust and safety terminology. Uh, and um, while that uh, consultation period has now closed, we'll be looking to finalize that glossary. That's just an example of the kind of things that folks will have a chance to connect with um, by, uh, by looking to our website and, and signing up for our mailing list. Fantastic. Thanks again, David. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast. Be sure to check us out at marketplacerisk.com for information and resources to help startups launch, grow, and succeed. And follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk to stay up to date on all of our conferences, summits, virtual events, and more.